Welcome to the Real Life Church podcast channel. My name is Michael Bame. I am the pastor here, and Real Life Church is all about connecting Jesus to real lives. You can find out more about us at reallifecov.com. All right, good morning. Ah, we are continuing on in our message series called Characters, where we take a look at different biblical characters. We ask the three questions Who are they? How do they connect with Jesus? What do they got to do with us, right? Those are important questions. Today, we are going to take a look at the biblical character Rahab. Rahab, uh, in Joshua chapter 2, we're going to take a look at her today. And I'm just going to tell you right now, Rahab's amazing. She is absolutely amazing. You start digging into her story and seeing how she gets connected with Jesus uh, it's an amazing story, and it's not completely disconnected from us. So let me give you a little bit uh, of what we should be thinking about here with Rahab, okay? If you want to open to Joshua chapter 2 or open up the notes in the uh, church app, you can do that. Um, but Rahab is a, she's a Canaanite, and all of us know, right, who the Canaanites are. Well, if you don't, that's okay. The Canaanites come from this guy named Canaan. That makes sense, right? Uh, and they're named after him. He's the descendants of Canaan. And Canaan is a descendant. He's actually the, like a great-grandson of this guy named Ham. Ham. And Ham is a son, one of three sons, of this guy named Noah. And they survive the flood narrative. Yeah? Okay. Well, he's not just the son that survived, one of the three sons that survived the, the flood narrative. Ham is also the one that saw his father's nakedness and then went and told his brothers about it, right? Now, uh, I'm just going to let you know uh, that that scene is really a, a sexually charged scene, much more than what we just read it and think about it and go like, oh, okay, he saw his, he saw his dad step out of the shower, right? That's what, no, it's way deeper than that. Uh, I'm happy to talk with you about how, uh, why I know that uh, after the service because you guys are sick of me nerding out on you, so I'm not gonna do that here. But it is, it implies that something of a, a sinful nature has happened here and you see that the continuation, the, the refusal to turn from that sinful behavior uh, overflows into his great-grandson, Canaan, that then in, overflows into all of these people named the Canaanites, okay? And then you have uh, Rahab, who is not just a Canaanite, she's a Canaanite prostitute, Okay? You see kind of the effects of all that sinfulness. Now she has this profession here. So it's, it's highlighting something here. And um, I know right now you're thinking, wow, that's really interesting. Uh, it's an int interesting thing about these ancient people from an ancient culture, but it's ancient history, right? It doesn't have anything to do with us. But I think this story has way more to do with us than we think on the surface. Because things have not changed so much. You can see that the sin that is never really dealt with gets continued on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And I imagine if you have a family line like mine that you can see it. There's, there's certain 
people in your family that you don't really talk about or you don't want to get into or you try to cover up because you don't want to bring their own sinfulness, the things that they did that were sinful to the surface. You just kind of try to ignore them or you try to avoid them instead of actually dealing with it. Uh, you may be even feeling some of the residual effects of those, those different, what I call, cheaters and beaters in your family history. The sinful things that they've done that has contributed to the next generation and to the next generation. Uh, in a small town setting, other people may know what they have done and now you feel the weight of that and have to try to live differently or live in that shadow and the weight of that guilt. Do you see it's not so different? Okay? But I, I want to show you something that's amazing about Rahab. She, there's something that she knows that's going on here, a different than what other people know. They, they've got this group of people sitting outside their city gates, and they've heard things about this group of people. They've heard things about this God and how he has worked through this group of people to defeat and annihilate those who opposed him. This God has seemed to be unstoppable. He has dealt with the sin of the Egyptians and the Egyptian army was not able to stop them. He has dealt with the sins of these two giant kings, Sihon and Og. He's dealt with them. Uh, because of their sinfulness, and they oppose this group of people. And even these chaotic waters of the Red Sea didn't seem to be able to stop this unstoppable God. And now he is there with this group of people at their doorstep. And there's something about Rahab that she knows about this God that they aren't really paying attention to. These people are afraid, they're very afraid then there's plenty to be afraid of, isn't there? Right? They see this God is now at their doorstep and their teeth, they're chattering. Their knees, they're knocking. And their hearts, they're just fainting in fear because this God is now here at their doorstep. And even more so, we're going to find out, he sent some of his people to infiltrate their city and they're there in their city. They're afraid, but they're not afraid of the thing that they need to be afraid of. They're not afraid of the thing that this God is really doing in this world. They're not afraid of how this God is responding to the sinful nature that has carried on for far too long, and no one has turned from it. So I, I want to paint that picture, and then let's dive into the story, okay? Let's take a look at the thing that is so amazing about Rahab because she knows something that all the Israelite people should know. She knows something that all of God's people should be remembering. In fact, she knows something that all people of the whole entire world, they need to know, okay? So let's take a look. Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And Joshua, son of Nun, sent two his men secretly from Shittim. You really got to pronounce that word right. I'm just going to say that, okay? From Shittim, as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. 
And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Now just, just stop and think about what's going on here, right? You've got this unstoppable God at your doorstep, and everyone's afraid. They're so afraid that they are on high alert. Joshua is sending in spies. This is people that should go into an area and be completely undetected. And they are detected immediately. They're detected immediately and they are reported immediately to the highest authority. These people are afraid and they are on high alert. Continue on in verse 3. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Behold, uh, bring out the men uh, whom have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman, Rahab, had taken the two men and she had hidden them. Well, that's interesting. Why would she do that? And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they are from. <laughs> right, come on, right? Everyone knows where they're from. Verse 5, and, and when the, the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax and she had, that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Fear makes you do some irrational things, doesn't it? Right? these guys that are sent to capture the spies, they do something irrational because of their fear, don't they? They're so consumed with trying to catch these guys immediately and urgently that they don't stop to think, hmm, maybe we should check her story to make sure they're not here in the house, right? That's irrational to not at least check it out. But they are so afraid that they don't even check the thing out. Now, here's the thing that I'm seeing that Rahab is so amazing to her, right? Is, is so amazing, ab excuse me, about her. She, she's hidden these guys. How come? Why has she hidden these spies from her own people? Why is she lying to her own people? What is going on here? Well, see what she has to say about this. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water on, uh, of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction and as soon as we heard it our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord your God he is the God in heaven in the heavens above and the earth beneath did you hear what they, she heard? 
She, she knows something about this God, the thing that they, they've all heard, right? He's unstoppable. He, he's unrelenting. The, the devoted to destruction means he has wiped out this group of people because they were so sinful that he needed to purify that area. That's what devoted to destruction terms mean. Now, it's hard for us to, to wrap our mind around this. I get it. It's not an easy passage, but there is something that God is doing. He's responding to the sinfulness of people, and Rahab is picking up on that. She, she knows something about this God. In fact, not only does she know the stories about how unstoppable, unrelenting this God is, but she knows something even deeper. She knows something about this God's name and what this God's name actually means and that's the very direction that she goes in this next part of it. Now, I am going to nerd out on you a little bit, okay? I'm just giving you forewarning. But you need to pay attention because I'm going to highlight some words, and I want you to know it's the same word that just gets translated a little bit differently, and that's okay. But it shows us that she knows something about God's, God's very name. Now, we're going to see it here in verse 12 through 14. It's highlighted. Now, now then, this is her speaking still. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we, when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully to you. First of all, don't tell anybody what we're up to. Everybody knows, like, right? Everyone knows why you're here. I mean, they at least know that you're here, right? They may not be focused on the right thing. They're just for their own lives, but Rahab is doing something different. She is calling upon God's very great name. Did you see that word that I highlighted? What was it? Kindly. Kindly. Yeah, that same word, uh, it's the same Hebrew word, but it gets translated a little bit differently. Same meaning, same understanding here. In when God, God goes to uh, Moses and gives him his name. I'll show you what it looks like. Exodus chapter 34, 6 through 7. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, and this is his name. Listen to the name. Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with, there's the same word, unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive inequity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. This right here is why I think Rahab is so amazing. With all that she's heard about this God, she knows somehow something about this God's kindness. Loving kindness is sometimes the way it gets translated or unfailing love. That's part of his name. And she knows that he does not excuse the guilty. She has experienced 
this transgressions from one generation to another, hasn't she? Her very people group has experienced that. And I think that's where we have some connecting pieces with Rahab. We feel the weight of the sinfulness in our own families, people that have rebelled against God in inequities or the sinfulness that they participated in. You, you, it, it gets pushed upon you. It's like a weight that you carry. It's something kind of in the back of your mind that you wish you could undo. And Rahab is showing us there's a way that we can be this pivot point for generations to come. That the weight of changing that sinfulness is laid upon our shoulders, and she does it by the way she responds to this God. She calls upon his great name, his loving kindness and faithfulness, not because she's not guilty, but because she is, and her whole family is, and her ancestors are or were, right? And she is becoming this pivot point to say, God, I'm just going to ask you to forgive me. My allegiance is to you because of your great name. So here's what I've done. I've taken what she says in Joshua 2, verse 12, and I've just put in that, the same translating word that they use with God's great name, just to show the consistency of it, okay? So here's what she's saying, in essence, with God's great name. Okay, we'll put it up here. Now then, Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have shown unfailing love to you, you also will show unfailing love to my father's house. And then the following. Do you see the consistency there? In fact, what you may have missed is the way that these spies respond to her. We will deal with you kindly and with faithfulness. That's also connected with God's name, isn't it? We will show unfailing love to you and faithfulness. We are going to act and carry God's great name upon us in the way that we deal with you. So she, she is looking to be that pivot point for her family to be part of a new family. It's all about this God who is the God of the heaven and earth, this God that is unstoppable, but there's this God that has unfailing love and faithfulness and will forgive. You ask, God will forgive, right? That's what it's saying here. And so she makes her allegiance to this God and that has a huge effect on her and the rest of her family as we see that she is connected not only to um, the Israelite people but to a specific line of that group of people, the King David and all the way to Jesus. Okay, now I know it's hard to see this here but you just see the big picture of it, okay? The boys are in blue, Okay, boys are in blue, uh, girls are in the pink there, right? And that first one, the two couples right there on the far left, that's Judah and, uh, Judah and Tamar. And through that line of Judah is going to be the king. And look at the next one, that's Salmon and Rahab. Rahab's new life and new family and new identity, it starts with the insertion of being in this new group of people. It's no longer associated with the Canaanites, right? New group of people. She and Solomon are going to have a son named Boaz who marries a Moabite woman named Ruth. And eventually there will be the great grandparents of uh, David 
And then David, of course, you see the generations, a couple columns there that lead to ultimately Jesus as the king. She changes her whole, the whole history, the whole, the, the whole future of her family because of her allegiance to this God who's not only unstoppable and will deal with sinfulness, but to his great name that is about unf unfailing love and, and, and forgiveness. She makes her allegiance to him. And here's the connecting piece for us today. It's still the same for us. We can be part of that family if we would take this time right here to pivot. Right? Whatever your family history was about, whatever, whatever the cheaters and the beaters have laid upon you in your life that you are having to deal with and live through and fight through, that you can be that pivot point by giving your allegiance to this God that does not excuse the guilty, but he will forgive if you make allegiance to him and call in his great name forgiveness and you experience a whole new future for your family and your children's families and your children's children's families. You see how that is? It's an amazing story, guys. It's incredible. And, and it's exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is God's name. God's name is on Jesus. Listen to this from uh, one of Jesus' disciples in John 1.17. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness, God's very name, came through Jesus Christ. His way of dealing with sin, right, through God's plan, gives us a way to say, you know what? I want to have allegiance to this unstoppable God that has a great name of unfailing love and forgiveness so that I can be a part of a new family and my children and children's children can have a new family to live in, right? That's what's so amazing about Rahab. And, and here's, here's what I want to do. Here, I'm just inviting you. Inviting you into something here, okay? I'm inviting you into what Rahab has done. I'm inviting you into this life in Jesus. I'm inviting you just to pray this prayer that one of Rahab's descendants wrote. David, the king, wrote this prayer that talks all about this allegiance to this, to this God and calls upon this God's great name of unfailing love. And so I'm, I'm going to invite you to pray this. I'll pray it, and then afterwards, I'm inviting you to take communion. I, you're showing your allegiance to this Jesus who takes on God's great name and provides a way for us to be in this new family of people. Okay? So I'm going to pray the prayer. I invite you to pray it along with me. We're going to leave it up on the screens throughout the communion. You can uh, come up and take communion at any of the stations. Anytime you're ready to say, yes, I am calling upon this God's great name for forgiveness so that I can be part of a new family and my allegiance is going to be to him. Okay? All right. So here's the prayer. Oh, Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. 
Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me by show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O God. Hey there, hope you enjoyed the sermon today. We love connecting Jesus' life with other people's lives and hope we were able to do that with you today. If you'd like to know more about us here at Real Life Church, please check us out at reallifecove.com. Thanks for listening.